You're listening to a Korean Mail podcast. Deadly. The Blackyard is a podcast produced by the Korean Mail. Grab a cuppa, kick off your shoes, and join me, Kirk Page, Naomi Morin, and Luke Carroll in the Blackyard for a candid conversation about. We acknowledge Bundjalung country and the Widjibul Waibul land upon which our officers sit. We acknowledge and pay our respects to our ancestors and elders, past and present. This episode of The Blackyard features a conversation about mental health. The Korea Mail acknowledges that episode 4 may be triggering and sensitive to our listeners. The Korea Mail. Knowledge. Culture. Country. Connection. Jingy Walla, and welcome to episode four of the Blackyard podcast. My name is Kirk Page, and with me in the studio is Naomi Morin, and dialing in from Gadigal country is Luke Carroll. Nay and Luke, how are you both? Good morning. I'm I'm well. I'm well. We were just listening to a bit of Aretha on the intro in, and um, feeling good. Feeling good. How are you, Luke? Yeah, not bad. Um... Yeah, like you said, darling, from Gadigal country. Um, we're still in lockdown, but trying to stay as positive as we can. But, um, you know, episode four, it's gone crazily fast. It's so good. You know, time flies when you're having fun, eh? Absolutely. Yeah, baby. Yeah, it's uh, been fun. And I'm really thrilled today. Coming up on today's show, we're having a yarn with Joe Williams, who is a very passionate community advocate for mental health and suicide prevention uh, and this fellow has been recognised and acknowledged nationwide for his, uh, you know, professional sporting career and also bringing the conversation about mental health to the table. Joe Williams, welcome to the Black Yard. How are we doing? It's, uh, I heard so much about this crew. It's uh, good, <laughs> good, to, good to join you. Oh, Virtually, yeah, good, on the phone, good all things. that sort of stuff. Yeah, things, good eh? things good we things, hope, eh? Good, good ways, good ways. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's really great to have you. Um, so, Joe, as I, I was talking about before, you're a staunch advocate around mental health and you know creating lots of awareness, and you've you've done some really great things out there bringing bringing this subject to to light. Um, just uh, recently, there was a, a beautiful book called "Dear Son," a collection of stories from fathers to their sons. Dear son, yeah, it was. Um it's going great guns. So how did you come about, um, to, how did that happen? Can you tell us a little bit about that letter and why you wanted to be involved? Well, I think, um, you know, it was, it was a, it was a, it was dreamed up by, I think a conversation between uh, fantastic Bradbury author, Tara June Winch and a conversation with Thomas Mayer. And between that, they just, they said, it's, you know, it's, I don't know the actual ins and outs of the conversation, but out of it come the importance of forking vulnerability uh, mm. to to our sons. You know, it's mm. I guess we're we're all uh, I know I am for sure, so I can talk to it um, both as as a son and as a father, uh, being sort of I guess shackled by the these conversations around vulnerability. Um, you know, at one one since I was a kid. You know, having the conversations, not having the conversations, you know, with my dad, uh, and then as, and then me as a dad, you know, shackled mm. by the fact of 
sharing and showing vulnerability in front of our young ones. There's this false, false pretense that we that we need to be tough all the time. You know, I, I guess, you know, as I said, I'm 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 victim of it um, in the early in the early years of, of parenthood, and it, and it, I guess it's taken me to the path of the, the struggles that, that I've had mentally and emotionally, but also then then talking and advocating to and with other people. Uh, the the, the importance of just being open, frank, and honest around things that we feel. Um, I think when you break it down, obviously, you know, and not to go too deep too soon, but when we talk of suicide and mental health challenges in our community, particularly the Aboriginal community, mm. it, it, it looks so complex. Mm. It looks from the outside a really, really tough and deep conversation, which it is, and I'm not trying to downplay it at all, but when we look at it and really break it down to really what it is on the surface, majority of the, of the men that, that are hurting in our communities, we just don't share what we're feeling, you know? And, and, and this book is just, you know, I was in tears, one, writing it, mm. but two, reading it from all the beautiful vulnerability of all the fathers, uh, from all, like all different ages, young fathers, older fathers, uh, and then fathers talking to their uh, sons, talking to their fathers. Like it was, it's just, it's just a conversation I think that needs to be had. Yeah, it's a really beautiful book. We got it sent here at the Curry Mail, and I started to read through it, and it was really touching and very personal. And then it got me thinking, <laughs> what would I say to my dad? Um, and you know, like you said, males, you know, especially in our community, we're not great at being vulnerable or letting people know how we're feeling and that, that also crosses over into, you know, how do we maintain our men mental health and how do we, how do we find a way to clear those things that are in our head and not feel ashamed or to feel mm. weak. So, you know, it's a really important thing to, you know, bring to the table. So, yeah. With me personally, there's, there's, there's layers to it, how it come about, right? Is that I, I started off, working in the mental health field and and obviously then just advocating and speaking about the challenges around mental health. But the more I looked at it, the more I went deeper into it. And, and I've been lucky enough to keynote the World Indigenous Suicide Prevention Conference a few times. Mm, you you look at First Nation people, you look at Native people around the world, we're not buying, we're not dying by what what we see as, as these mental illness challenges. But broadly speaking, we're like... A lot of a lot of the challenges in our, in our community are from the impact of generational transgenerational trauma mm. that's been handed down unknowingly to us by the ones who have come before us, set out from the impact of colonisation. Like we look at we look at all of the challenges in our communities. All of the challenges that are in our communities are all introduced, mm. and and. And I and, and once I started to go deeper into that, I'm, I moved away from the mental health field as such and started looking at suicide prevention from a different perspective, looking at it from trauma. If we're not dying from mental illness, we're dying from trauma. So to, to, to heal the behaviours that are from trauma, we need to go back and have a look at the, what the trauma is and the, you know, the construct of trauma, right? But, but it came about a conversation with my dad. And I said, Dad, there are some things that... that as a son, 
I would have loved to have had differently. Mm. And this isn't this isn't a poke at my dad or my upbringing because I was loved and looked after. Mm. I was loved and looked after. I wasn't in an environment that wasn't that was unsafe or anything like that. That's that's not what I'm getting at. But what I'm getting at is, is that a lot of our parents parent the way they know how with the tools that they've got. Right. Yeah. And looking at it with, with my dad, I said, Dad, I want to do things differently. And it was a frank and honest and, and raw conversation with this guy who I've been afraid of my whole life. Right. And we get that. We get that because because that's what we are as sons to this figure that's above us, right? My dad my dad's a sturdy, pretty like he's a he's a solid dude, right? Mm. Um but and dad Dad sort of, like my dad's a really emotional, intelligent person. Without without people, like without people knowing, he doesn't he doesn't show. But he's the most intelligent and emotionally intelligent person that I know, like anywhere across the world, right? Um, and at first, he was buckled by it a little bit, and he, and he and he and there was an adverse reaction to it, and he was like, "Yeah, but Joe," and I said, "Dad, just let me finish for a minute, all right?" And hmm. and I had to yeah. I had to get up any any sort of bravery that I had to have this conversation with Dad. Um, because I know that that defense is a, is a first mechanism for many of our people, many of our, our loved ones. I said, Dad, you didn't have a dad, so I can't be critical of that. Mm-hmm. You had no one to look at. My dad lost his dad at nine-year-old. Wow. Right? So he's grown up in this, in this era that where you had to be tough. Like he grew up seeing, you know, seeing horrific stuff happen to his mothers and older aunties and all this sort of stuff by... In times where where the government was, you know, like a microscope on our communities, That's right. looking at our communities, at looking for any ill move to remove our kids. So Dad grew up in an era where he had to grow up super fast because he lost his dad at nine. So he, like, so he wasn't fathered mm. with a love and nurturing relationship. So how can I expect him? to have and model that love and nurturing relationship when he didn't have it. He didn't know how to do it. Mm. And that then in turn played onto me with my older kids, right? My 16 year old boy who I wrote the letter to mm. and, 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 and myself and his mother went through a separation at, a, at, at an early age with my two older kids. And then I repartnered and went through a separation in the first 12 months of, of that relationship. So my, my fathering wasn't particularly great and my modeling wasn't particularly great at that so I, I, I've recently written a, uh, an article that I haven't yet published it's about me traumatising the people I love the most and that's my own kids because of because of my behaviours mm. by not knowing how to be a dad and that's no one else's fault but it's once I'm aware of that I can then put into practice better behaviours to do it and this is where the letter to my oldest boy comes in and yeah. Joe as, a, as writing this piece made you more aware of, of, of those things and and whilst you were writing it what, what were some of the feelings that you know you were feeling whilst writing it and and going through that process you know opening up and you're know, dealing with it and maybe some of those emotions coming to the fore whilst writing you look it. at you look at it and 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 i've been lucky to write an autobiography from the front to the back right in a manic state where i wrote majority of the of the, the manuscript in a month okay so like someone who was who is who when I write I write a lot. I yep. wrote this A4 piece of paper which has been broken down into smaller pages with the book. Like an A4 piece of paper is not many words. Mm. It took me 
about four hours to write. Where some where where, where, right. where normally I'd write this in fifteen minutes, but it took me so much time to write because chicka, I, I just stop and cry mm. and regain, re, compose myself and re, have a look at my thoughts because I was, I, I, it smashed me. Yeah, it smashed right. me. And again, looking at looking at at the, the the vulnerabilities of it without going too raw and too deep into into a, into this book, but 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 it was like it, it was an apologetic piece to my boy, but also a call to my boy to say, learn from my mistakes, man. Hmm. You know, and 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 I think you know timing timing's fantastic, and and I believe that everything gets controlled by a greater power than us, and that's our old people putting us on that path, our ancestors. It was it was probably. Um, you know, three weeks before I got to ask, uh, before I was asked to write this piece, I ended up going to to pick up Brody from Sydney to drive him back to Dubbo. So it's a five-hour trip where we could have a conversation and talk about these things, and talk about the vulnerabilities, and talk about you know some some really deep things that that like cut me, and 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 conversations where I say, mate, I I invite you to call me out on any behaviour. Mm-hmm. Because it'll at least give me an opportunity to explain to you why, and also it'll it'll at least give me an opportunity to have a look deep within me at the behaviours that I do. Mm-hmm. Because I I don't want to model poor behaviours to my boys. Because a lot of our communities, we we are the way we are because we've been modelled and conditioned ways that aren't particularly great for us. That's no one else's fault. Because I believe that every single person on this earth in our communities that I've met are all wired for love and connection for our young people. Mm. So everything that's been negative in our communities, it comes as a response and a reaction to traumatic things that have happened to us in our lives that possibly happened generations and generations before we were even thought about. That's you right. Know? So it's, it's super complex, but... Absolutely. When we're aware of it, it gives us an opportunity to work on it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Joe, you just mentioned it's super complex. There's there's absolutely a lot of layers to to parenting, um, fathering and, and mothering and um, a lot of things to consider, especially as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and, and you know, our, our communities and our families, how we were raised, what we had, what we didn't had in terms of, um, you know, that nurturing and support growing up. And I think... Um, you know, that key word around being, you know, vulnerable. And I think, um, you know, myself as a parent to, to, a, to a son, one of my greatest fears is, um, you know, that he won't show that vulnerable side growing up. And, and for me, it's, it's taken um, a lot of time as a parent to reflect on things that have affected me um, growing up as an individual and, and uh, in terms of you know, my own background to make sure that uh, I'm the best person for my son as he grows up in terms of a mother and, and his father too. And having those conversations around, um, you know, we we want to show that honesty towards our, our children growing up so that that can support their emotional and mental state as they grow. So I think, um, you know, everything that you've mentioned um, definitely resonates um, with myself as a parent and I'm sure it does, you know, with Kirk and, and Luke as parents and, and the listeners as well. And we're really excited about uh, about this book, and we're really excited about the work that that you've been doing. Um, and I and I and I mention this because I am excited about books at the moment. 
Um, I mentioned to Kirk and the team the other day that we got our we got our first package um, in the mail. Woo-hoo. We did. We got our, our first gift um, to to the Blackyard <laughs> team from the University of New South Wales from New South Wales Books. Um, and so it's just, you know, fitting that we are talking about, um, about your, your book and, and the letter here, Joe. but, um, I, I wanted to mention some of those books that were sent to us because, um, I remember growing up not being a big reader and as an adult, um, I, I really started to make a conscious effort to read because obviously there's, there's knowledge in anything that we read or anyone that we listen to or, or spend time with. Um, I, I'm not. A fiction person. I love biographies and I love, uh, you know, stories of, of history and individuals. So some of the books that we were sent through, and, and this is absolutely about giving a shout out to New South Books from the University of New South Wales in Sydney. Uh, one of the books sent through um, titled Everything You Need to Know About the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Um, and, and and this was written by Megan Davis and George Williams. And Megan Davis is a is a cobble cobble woman from Southwest Queensland. She's a director of the Indigenous Law Centre at University of New South Wales Law and Pro Vice Chancellor at University of New South Wales. And uh, for those who know Megan, she's also a leading constitutional lawyer on Indigenous constitutional recognition. And George Williams is a, a professor and deputy vice chancellor at University of New South Wales and a, and a publisher on on constitutional law. I mean, look, however mob may feel about the Uluru Statement from the heart and what that represents or what that's trying trying to say, um, this book has just been released and, and it supports that, um, that statement from 2017 calling for reform and a First Nations voice um, to Parliament. One of the other books that um, I'm, I'm really excited to read, like I said, I love reading um, uh, biographies or stories about individuals in history and especially in, in our history as ag- Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people was about a First Nations leader and Tasmanian war hero, uh, Tonga Longata. Mm. Now, I don't know if I've pronounced that right. Um, and and I must say, I've not heard of that name before. Oh. Uh, you know, we... Uh, one of my favourite things to do is to research and and read about some of our um, you know our our warriors of mm. resistance of the past. And this account is told by an historian, Henry Reynolds, and Nicholas Clements, um, who is a history teacher and researcher and author, and um, apparently is like a eighth or ninth generation Tasmanian. Um, now this story is 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 about the frontier wars around the Oyster Bay Nation and the surrounds of southeast Tasmania and tells the story of this particular hero um, and his resistance and survival around the 1820s um, and the 30s. So I'm really, really excited to, to read that and learn more um, about him. And, and we know with these stories there does come um, an insight into into the traumas and um, just how much, you know, our people... Um, any history had to had to survive. Um, so if you're if you're interested in reading about another prominent um, uh, warrior of our history, definitely check that one out. True Tracks has just been released, um, and that book is by Terry Jenke. And I know a lot of a lot of our listeners um, and, and and us around the table here know of Terry and her and her work over twenty years um, in in the law sector. She's a Maryam and a Wathawathi lawyer. 
Um, specifically, she focuses on Indigenous cultural and intellectual property law and, and commercial law. Um, this book, I tell you, is, is a wealth of information. And I think anybody who's uh, working in sectors um, related to the arts and architectures, film and publishing, dance and performance, um, tourism, languages... I guess anything to do with um, how you engage with First Nations people and, and culture, how you work with mob and, and I guess what your responsibilities are uh, to work with our people in the most culturally appropriate way. This book is for you and I've, and I've taken a, a quick look, um, you know, I've had a, a read of, of a few pages and it's definitely uh, just around guidelines. I mean, look, mm. Terry shares, she says a story about her her journey through her career and, and how she got to where she is today, which is amazing and, and inspirational. Uh, but it's definitely um, informative around things like uh, protocols and guidelines uh, when mm -hmm. we talk about language and we talk about the arts and when we talk about, um, you know, I mean, look, one of the hot topics is always fake arts oh, and, yeah. and copyrights and exploitation. Mm. Uh, so it definitely discusses Indigenous um, arts appropriation, um, you know, what is right, what is wrong. Uh, music and copyright, authorship and identity and respecting Indigenous stories, which yeah. I think is is really, really important. So, you know, thank you to New South Wales Books for the beautiful gift. We have them here. I look forward to, to reading them and, and sharing them around. Uh, they're based in the University of New South Wales in Sydney. And look, just real quickly, I just wanted to give a shout out to two titters who, um, who have released a book or are about to release a book. Uh, just wanted to mention Larissa Berent's uh, new book. Now, she's a Yulalay uh, and Camilleroy woman, and her latest fiction, uh, I don't I don't read fictions, but I might just take a look at this one, uh, is titled After Story. It's on sale now. And also, you can pre-order uh, Dr. Chelsea Wadigo, or Ooh. Professor Chelsea Wadigo now. Um, is Is, yes, <laughs> two deadly titles there for the titter. Uh, look, she's about to release Another Day in the Colony. Now, she's a Mananjali and South uh, Sea Islander woman um, from Queensland. Uh, this book comes out in November, I think, but you can pre-order. Uh, and look, if anybody knows Chelsea, she knocked backwards and coming forwards, this, this titter girl. Mm -hmm. She calls it for what it is. And in this book, she calls out the history of racism faced by, by our people, by First Nations people in this country. And um, what, I, what I like about it or what I'm really... Um, you know, looking forward to reading about is she, she talks about our people not being the problem, that this is not our problem. And she exposes the lies that settlers tell about our people. She shares her story about not fighting back and standing her ground against colonialism in academia, mm. uh, in court, in the media and so on, and how that has taken its toll on her. And again, it may resonate with with many of us, physically, emotionally, relationships, career prospects, uh, etc. So, um, look, that one's, I reckon that one's going to be a killer and really excited to, um, to see her work come in the form of, uh, her first book. Um, so yeah, again, shout out to University of New South Wales, New South Books and, uh, to Larissa and, and Chelsea on the release of their books. That sounds amazing. I can't wait to have a look in that little box. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Good ways. Of books. <laughs> of books. <laughs> reading. Look, like I said, I'm not a big reader, but but reading is important. And I think, you know, I always reading come back to... Reading is fundamental. It is. It is. And sometimes I have to force myself to take the time and space, you know, to 
to read. Yeah. Um, and I and I find a lot of comfort in it and a lot of peace in it. Um, you know, but even with that, with our jarjams, reading is really important for them and um, making more of a conscious effort to you know to support that in our in our kids as well. So so true, Nate, and um, yeah, very important. And I. You know, as we mentioned last episode, you know how, how important the culture and education are for our mob, and we get that sometimes through reading and uh, getting that education through through our books. Uh, but getting back to dear son Joe, um, thanks for staying with us, brother. Um, now, what's your son? Now, you said you wrote this for your son, a letter to your son. Uh, what, what what were his thoughts when he when he eventually sat down and and read it? Um, you know, and again, like looking at him, he's a 16-year-old young man uh, around that age where vulnerability isn't probably the hot topic in the school conversations. Mm. Um, mm. But but I, I wanted to send it to him before it went to print before anyone. Before anyone looked at it, I sent it to him first. And I said, mate, you only got to say the word and it won't go to print. And I would have turned around yeah, to Thomas right. and said, no, nah, I'm, I'm out. You know, yeah. because it was it's about him. It's about him. It's about vulnerability to him. And you know what? Um, that's something sacred between us. And, you know, he was really mature about it. And he was, when he, when he, it also, it also opened up. It was a lock to a, to a, to a box that was inside his brain that he didn't know about a lot of things as well. Right. And about understanding. And, and I guess the, the, what our brain does to, to young people during, during times of, separations and things like that and and that's how we see it play out in behaviors and traumas in you know in our future but um funny enough when Brody Brody Brody's been out with me in the bush now out in Dubbo for about eight weeks since pretty much since um things he couldn't move around a bit in Sydney so we got him out of the bush and then we have a bit of a joke and say that COVID must have followed him out here because <laughs> we went into lockdown the next bloody week and got here but um <laughs> It was funny because we had a we had a, an Instagram live with Thomas um, talking about the book, and Brody was in the room. And I said to him before I got on, I said, "Do you want to get on and jump on and have a chat about it?" Um, and he's like, "Nah, nah, nah, nah." And I was like, "Yeah, sweetheart, we won't." But then just before I jumped, I said, "Mate, this is your opportunity to show a bit of leadership here to some other young people that mm, that beautiful. again mightn't mightn't be ready for those conversations." And he got on. He got on, and in, in you know, I guess in. 16 on thousand in my, in my live live Instagram feed and you know with Thomas's as well. Um, not that all those people were on there at that time, but but it just showed some 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 real, I guess, bravery and some rawness to Brody, which which again I, I put down to some leadership skills and and he told Thomas on that on that on that that Instagram live he said, you know what, I cried. I didn't know I didn't know my dad felt like that. I didn't know. Um, you know, many things about, you know, the different times that, that have happened during our lives. Um, so he was super brave. He was super raw and super vulnerable, which, again, 16-year-old kids look at that and there might be some poking fun at each other in, in a school, in a school uh, you know, circle and groups. But I guarantee you that'll start some conversations. Mm, absolutely. It's such you know, a crucial and, and, age. And that's what we need. Oh, that's what we need with young blokes. Yeah. Again, um, some of the some of the mischief we, that we all got up to <laughs> around the sixteen and seventeen year old, you know, we're 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 not we're not uh, you know naive to that fact. Um, it can create some real conversations, which is, you know, I'm super proud of him for it. 
Yeah, it's brilliant. And, you know, just sitting here hearing you talk about sharing that vulnerability with your son, it's it's really, it's quite moving. Um, it is, And, you yeah. know, we'll take a leaf out of that book and find a way to connect to those and not be afraid or ashamed to let someone know how you're feeling. Um, great yarning. We're just going to go to a short break. The Kurumal newspaper is the voice of Indigenous Australia. 100% Aboriginal owned and operated. To subscribe, visit kurumal.com. If this podcast raises any issues for you, please contact the National Indigenous Critical Response Service on 1800 805 801 or Lifeline on 13 14 11. Join me every Monday as I bring you a series of documentaries that speak to the heart of Indigenous culture and experience. We have a unique place in the world. We need to take care of it. Made by Indigenous filmmakers with diverse stories from around the world. Sitting on top of such spiritual land is just... It's just amazing. This is my land. Carla Grant presents Mondays 8.30 on NITV and On Demand. Welcome back to The Black Yard. Uh, with us today, we have a really awesome guest, Joe Williams. Uh, Joe, I wanted to ask you, you know, in, a, in the communities that we live in and even our own personal experiences, sometimes trauma can feel like a life sentence. And I wanted to hear a little bit about how do we turn that around? You know, it's, um, it's funny. I was just having this conversation uh, with someone recently. The, the recent World Indigenous Suicide Prevention Conference that I referred to earlier, um, actually the one this year was all online. And, and the, the, the keynote that I gave this year uh, remotely, and it was in Canada, so I had to get up at bloody three o'clock in the morning to do it. Um, was how how childhood trauma and adversity impacts our behaviours as adults. Mm. Right. So we look at we look at everything that every every single behaviour that we have now has been conditioned into us in the very early years of our lives. Right. So everything we think, feel, I wouldn't say think, but everything we feel. Um, is, is conditioned into us, um, has you know genetically been put into us. Um, it's 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 obviously a lot deeper topic to go over uh, with right now. But um, everything everything that we that we feel now has been uh, has been conditioned into us from a very early years in our life. They talk about the first thousand days of our life when it's so crucial for brain development and so so crucial for behavioural development. Uh, in the first thousand days that in our life, so we, we're talking about in the embryo as well as the first two and a half, two to two and a half years mm. um, of our life. And then I hear about Dr. Nairi Brown down in, down on the south coast, down the Wollongong. She talks about the first two thousand days. So we're, so we're looking at even the, the importance again, even further of early childhood development, brain development, and what it does to us as adults, right? But again. If all of this stuff is, is a product of our upbringing, then 
a lot of it, it can be hardwired into us, but it's not a life sentence, right? So once we become aware of these behaviours, and again, like only Judy Atkinson, who, who does fantastic work around trauma in this field, um, particularly in Aboriginal communities, um, she said to me once, she said, every negative behaviour in our communities is a product of trauma. And, and I didn't quite understand it. But then once you, once you go deeper into, into what trauma is and, and how it actually impacts us and affects us, um, you can see that every single negative relationship, conversation, everything, all the behaviours that we have are all an impact on from our, our early childhood, from things that we've seen, heard, felt. Mm. Um, so the greatest thing about that is that is that the brain in what they call neuroplasticity, um, the brain more or less rewires itself with different behaviours and is ongoing in the moment, right? So it's not, it's not, it's not even the fact of, um, you know, doing something and then it's going to impact us in the next generation or in 10 years' time. Like our brain actually rewires through that neuroplasticity process in the actual current moment. So things like um, connecting to culture, Mm-hmm. Right. So for many of us, the cultural practice, so for many of us had it taken away, right? But but a lot of us have, have been lucky enough to to refine it, relearn it, redevelop it, and then relive it. Okay, so so that process in learning those new practices, with those new practices comes connection, connection to people, connection to country, connection to to thousands of years of practice. It also brings connection to each other right and with the connection to each other we're starting this process of you know the power of connection is is phenomenal what it can do to people's healing and well-being right mm. not just physically but emotionally and and everything like i'm sure you fellas know when you're doing some type of cultural practice no matter what it is you feel good yeah, absolutely. Right? This is why our people, our old people, thousands of years. Again, I, I talk about not having suicides in our communities for thousands of years, because in over five hundred separate nations, two and a half thousand different dialects of language, there's no word that means suicide. Mm. So there's no word to describe it. It tells you it wasn't there. There's no story to describe it. We know how how deep storytelling is and how there's a story for absolutely everything across our culture, across our nation, there's no story for it. It tells you it wasn't there. Mm. So we've gone from hundreds of thousands of years of living in, living with each other with no suicides to in a space of 233-odd years mm. of being the highest suicide rates in some community, uh, in some age demographics across the world. Yeah. So, so what we did for thousands of years worked. What we're doing now is not working. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and why it's so vital to go back to those ways because all of those ways were about love, belonging, connection. Yeah. and I, I mean, right? Every single human being is wired for love, belonging and connection. Mm. And we wanted to, we wanted to touch on, um, you know, the advocacy and, and support around mental health for our people. And I think what you've just said um, 
obviously speaks to some key ways that we can support our people in our communities and some, uh, I guess, some some strategies or some avenues that, that our people, you know, can think about in terms of how they either support family members, support themselves um, or, you know, try and, you know, combat what they're going through. And a lot of it does come back to who we are as blackfellas in our culture and our community and whether, um, you know, we are practising it or whether we're, we're around people who are practising it, um, I think is, um, is, is something really, really strong, uh, something that I guess hits you and, and gets into the depths and soul of you. And, and I think um, at times when, when people have been struggling, when they have, um, you know, come back to culture or come back to community and their people, I think it's really provided, um, you know, peace, I guess, and um, has provided a way for them to, to, to get through those those hard times. We look at what culture and community is. Everything I do in community is about, with, with the advocacy work I do, is about connecting people. Mm. Because because we, we, are, we are stronger when we're together. That's right, yeah. You know, it's, it's now scientifically researched and backed. Yep. That we, when we are together as groups, and for thousands of years we always were in groups. We mm. were community. We were communal people, because when we were alone, we're in danger. That's right. So we need to get back to those ways. So, when we think about the current situation in our communities, uh, and and look, I know in in every episode we have been talking about COVID because that's the reality of the situation that we're in. So, in terms of our mob and their mental health their emotional and, and, and mental health during these times. Um, I think it is important to, to I guess, express um, that it is important to continue to have these conversations um, and that there are avenues of support out there uh, available. And we know that as people in community, and you, you mentioned that before, Joe, that, um, you know, when one of us is down, we're all down and, and we always find a way to you know, to pick our mob up and, 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 and support. At the same time, we have to look out for our own, uh, you know, our, our own health, our own mental health. And, um, and I guess there's, there's always that fine line between, um, you know, being that person for somebody, um, especially in family where, you know, we are so connected and our natural instinct is to put our hand out and help. Um, but also looking at ourselves and making sure that we're okay in the process and that it doesn't, um, you know, take take a toll on on the individual that's providing the support. I guess is what is what I'm trying to say, and mm. and and that comes from my personal experience. Um, and I'm you know happy to talk openly about my experiences with with family members, um, you know, who I love dearly, who uh, you know, who have been through some some pretty tough times and and some pretty dark days and. Our, our natural instinct is is to be that person for them, but at what point do we do we take a step back and and I, and I guess consider how we uh, personally are feeling in that moment and mm. um, and how that in some ways can can be a bit too much for us and and it's really hard to navigate and it's um, and it's a really kind of to and fro situation um, where where you want to be there but you need to look out for yourself and. Um, and, you know, my experience has been just having those really open and honest conversations in the hopes that it would be received well. And, and you know, and it has, um, you know, being really direct about 
you know, I'm I'm the relative or I'm your support person. Um, I, I will always love you. I'm here for you, but uh, I'm not a professional or I'm not somebody who can give you these um, these strategies or the or, or the help that you need. Um, it's it's really tricky, but I think if anything, this whole conversation that we're having <laughs> is about just having the conversation and and being being vulnerable, talking about it, mm. um, and you know, being really open about. Um, how people are feeling on both sides. Would you agree, Joe? I think I think you know you come back to, to one thing that's that's super important that I had to learn a hard way mm. is that we always when when we get into this advocacy space or we're always trying to uh, help other people. Sometimes it can drain our cup, and the end of the day, you can't give from an empty cup. You know, you mm. have to keep your own, own cup full to make sure that you can help others. Um, and at the end of the day, our our, our our individual health and well-being has to be the priority in all of this. Otherwise, we can't help anyone. Yes. Right? Um, and, you know, talking about just <laughs> we're, all, we're all locked down in our own little uh, sheep cages, as my old, my, old, my old man refers to it as, <laughs> at the moment. He always says, you're all locked up like sheep up there. <laughs> um, Where's he? But now he's in Wagga. They just oh, got out. okay. Yep, yep. <laughs> Um, but we're looking at, we're looking at, I always say to people, look after your own circle. Mm. Um, that's, that's your fir- yourself first and then look after the circle that's under your roof. Um, and I say it all the time, we shouldn't be waiting for people to tell us they're not well, mm. right? Because if we're paying attention enough, particularly to the people who are in our circle, like as parents, right, we can understand when our kids aren't, when our kids aren't right. We know, we can feel it in the air, we can smell it. We can, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you know when your partner's not well, you know when your kids aren't well. You know, so, so they're the times we need to reach in and, 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 and not say, okay, are you all right or is everything okay? Let's start to say, what can I do to make it better? Mm. And, and once, once we take the onus off them trying to get out of the dark and start to put, put it in, you know, it's like handing over the pain type thing. Because if, if anyone's been through and experienced it, that you know that, that you, you, you believe that your pain is a burden to everyone, mm. right? So you don't want to burden other people with your pain. Like I've had conversations where they don't want to ring me. I, I, I haven't wanted to ring you, brother. I've wanted to ring you and I know it's, it's right to reach out to ring you, but I just can't do it. Mm. Like, like my head's telling me not to. So what, what I say in those times is to, all right, what can I do to make things better? Yeah. Right, and have a look at, our lifestyle, have a look at what we're doing, you know, our exercise, uh, what, what we're eating, you know, it always gets me. And I did it for so long is that when people are depressed and not well, they drink, mm. right? We're, we're literally trying to fix depression with a depressant. It doesn't work. Mm. Right? What we need to do is start to create those natural endorphins, those natural highs with things like exercise and connection. Love and belonging, mm. you know. Get out, and, you know. Get, a, get 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 with people, and, and when you exercise, and you know, ha, ha, generate those laughs and generate those those natural those natural endorphins by uh, exercising and doing things together. Yeah. Definitely, good advice, Joe. Hundred percent, brother. And I, I've been, um, yeah, I've thought that and hear that so so clearly. Been here in lockdown, you know, twelve weeks now, and that's what I've done to get out of my sort of, you know 
spot of bother and depression or, or slight depression of being in lockdown is to get out there and exercise. So look out. Watch me walk out of lockdown. Hey, look out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've seen, I seen you doing backflips and all. I've seen you doing backflips and all on your Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've seen that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Flipping I'm, yourself I'm, around. I am chucking myself into the harbour here. <laughs> as um, long as you're only chucking yourself in the harbour there, brother. Yeah, yeah. But Joe, just a quick question, brother, and a, and a quick one at that. Um, you know, if the mob out there is feeling a bit down or they know people are feeling down, where's the best place for them to, to seek some help? You know, there's 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 all the, the, the different hotline numbers and things like that to, to, to talk to. And I guess what what's fantastic about those numbers is that uh, sometimes we we can't ring up someone uh, because we're we're afraid of judgment. You know mm. those those types of lifeline numbers. Um, we don't know who's on the other end. You know so and 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 those people are trained to come at us with with immense empathy um, to to help us and guide us into the right path. So you know I can't advocate enough for lifetime we, lifeline, which is one three one double one four one that's thirteen eleven fourteen. Um, those those type of numbers, you know, those type of hotlines are uh, just a way to have a conversation. Mm. You know, I always talk about getting things out of your head. You know, I write, I get it down on paper. Um, but also paying attention to people in your circle uh, and just try and advocate for those people and advocate for yourself. It, it can be the absolute hardest thing to do, but I guarantee you, I promise you, that things will start to get better once we start to, uh, you know, have those conversations. There's also there's also the the different uh, Aboriginal specific hotlines as well. Dadi Monwara mm. um, down in down in uh, down in uh, Victoria, um, they've got a fantastic one. Mm. Um, and you know, there's there's all sorts of uh, avenues across the internet that we can look up and and different numbers and call mm. lines and services that, that we can always talk to as well that, that are culturally safe. Because that's one of the most important things for us mob as well, is that making sure we find something with cultural safety. Yeah, it's really important. That's been fantastic to speak to you all, and thanks for coming mm. onto the Black Yard, Joe. Uh, what I've gotten out, out, of, out of the conversation, I guess, is, you know, just remembering to connect and and not not be afraid to have those conversations and you know be ready to uh make the mistakes and fumble around i think that's 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 okay yeah absolutely you don't have to make sense of the madness yeah <laughs> and look it's you been need to get it out it's mm. been a bit heavy um but you know we have been talking about the importance of having these conversations and and again, absolutely respect uh, everybody's vulnerability in, in contributing to this conversation and, and the work that you're doing. Uh, you know, Joe, we've we've all known you a long a long time, and I think to see how far you've come in in working through you know things that um, you know have affected you and and how you see that they have affected those around you, and and uh, you know it's it's a really special thing to see that. Um, you know, you're so open in uh, in working towards that healing and working towards, uh, you know, being a better person. And I love that you're so open and honest about working towards being a better father. I think it's, you know, it's so beautiful. And, you know, for the, for the fathers out there who may be listening, I think um, that was a really special component of this conversation. Um, 
you know, for the fathers out there to, to listen into. Really, really special yeah, conversation. Most definitely. I've known Joe for a long time, brother, and to hear that does it's, uh, you know, she was my with Joe, my, my brother. And, yeah, um, that's you know, makes, It pushes me further to, uh, you know, be a better father as well. So, yeah, yeah thanks for your time, brothers, and uh, yeah, continue the, the fantastic work you're doing in the mental health space. None of, none of us are perfect. We're just going to understand why we're not perfect and start to fix it. That's, that just comes down to a conscious decision. But thanks for your time, Brad. Yeah, really thanks again, right Joe. On. Look after yourselves. I'm going to get back to these kids now and help with their homework. Deadly, deadly. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Naomi Morin, for joining us today. As always, we love you. Luke Carroll, thank you for dialing in. Thanks for joining us in the Black Yard. Now, don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button on your screen to stay up to date with the latest Blackyard podcast. And make sure you rate this episode. We really appreciate it. You can find links to all our socials and website info in the show description.